This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hi, good morning, church family. The commentators say of Mark 13 that it is one of the most difficult, uh, complex chapters in the book of Mark. Some even say it is one of the most complex passages in the whole of the Bible. So we really need to pray and we need the help of Lego. But we need to pray. Uh, please pray with me for God's help. God, we thank you that it is you, uh, our speaking God, who indeed is able to open our minds, speak your truth into our lives, enable us not just to understand, but truly to believe and to transform our lives. So we pray, Father, that this word that you have prepared for us, uh, you might do your work in us. For your glory, we pray. Amen. The important thing to realize about this passage is that it begins with the disciples marveling at how great the temple is. And Jesus, very clearly in verse 2, says, not one stone of this impressive building will be left on another. Everything will be thrown down. So clearly Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. And the disciples on the Mount of Olives, uh, which is why this passage is also called the Oliviet Discourse, they question Jesus. And notice in verse 4 their question. Let me share so that you can see the highlighted words. As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So you realize they are talking about the destruction of the temple because that was what Jesus had just told them. Now, as we flip over to verse 28, Jesus talks about the fig tree and the lesson that we are to learn. And he says in verse 29, repeating uh, these key words, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So I put to you that the repetition of this phrase, these things, means that in uh, verse 4, as well as verse 29 and 30, they are talking about the destruction of the temple. It is a reference to the destruction of the temple. So which is why Jesus can say, this generation will not pass away. Because it is within the generation of the disciples that the temple is destroyed. Now, what is the lesson from the fig tree that we must learn. So we see that Jesus says, as soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves. So once you see leaves, the lesson is that summer is near. So when you see the leaves of the fig tree come out, 
the lesson is that summer is near. And Jesus goes on to say, so the leaves represent these things. So when these things are, have happened, then summer is here. Now, what, what is summer? Summer represents he is near, that Jesus is near, his return is near. So uh, what Jesus is teaching us is when you see these things happen, and we've said that these things refer to the end of the temple, the destruction of the temple, then Jesus is near. And we know that with the return of Jesus, it means the end of the world. The final judgment, final salvation is brought in. So um, this leaves us with, moving on to the passage, what does verses 5 to 13, what period is it talking about then? Well, this is where we have to call on uh, Lego to help us. Jesus tells them that the temple will be destroyed. They are very shocked. They think that the destruction of the temple means the end of the world too. Jesus explains that the temple will be destroyed, but the end of the world is not yet. Okay, so the point is, verses 5 to 13, is the disciples associate the end of the temple with the end of the world. And so what's happening in 5 to 13 is Jesus actually telling them, when you see these things happening, you might think it's the end, but actually this is not the end. This is what we should expect in the in-between, in the here and now, in the last days. So the things that Jesus warns us about is that there will be false messiahs who will come out people who will be claiming to be uh, the Christ. And the warning is not to be deceived by them. And then he talks about earthquakes. He talks about wars. All these things will happen, but it will not be the end. And so Jesus talks about suffering that will happen in this world before he returns. The wars, the earthquakes. And he moves on from talking about the general suffering to talking about specific suffering in verses 9 to 13. The sort of specific suffering that Christians will have to go through. Now with wars and earthquakes, you know, Christian, non-Christian, we all have to go through them. But in verses 9 to 13, he focuses in on the specific suffering that Christians will have to go through. The specific suffering that comes from seeking to stand and witness for the gospel, the suffering that will come as a result of witnessing for the gospel. And he clearly expects his disciples to be proclaiming the gospel because he says in verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. So clearly what will happen before he returns, before the end comes is that he expects the church, he expects his people, in spite of suffering, to be standing and witnessing and proclaiming the gospel. So all these things will happen, uh, but the end is not yet. So when we come to verse 14 to 23, this is when I should have played the first video. 
Okay, but this is the one. What is 14 to 23 all about? Okay, so clearly this is, uh, in my view, my interpretation, that it is talking about the destruction of the temple. The phrase in verse 14, the abomination that causes desolation, it's a phrase that comes out of Daniel and clearly refers to something that happens in the temple. Now, what we can say is that commentators do not know what this abomination that causes desolation actually is. And that's fine. Because Jesus' intention is to warn his disciples. And the idea is, as they, as they look out and as they believe Jesus' words, when the, desolation, when the abomination that causes desolation actually come, they will recognize it. And they will recognize it and they will remember Jesus' warning and they will uh, follow his instructions, which is uh, those who are in Judea to flee and no one come back to take anything, you know, and you know, don't come back for your cloak, but really rush to the mountainside. And uh, history will tell us that the Christians, indeed, uh, when the Roman army marched in, they recognized this sign. Uh, whatever it was, the abomination that causes desolation. And many Christians heeded this instruction and they fled. Um, and so many Christians were saved. So uh, verses 14 to 23 is the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that the temple will be destroyed. And indeed, in AD 70, uh, the Emperor Titus Vespasian came in, besieged Jerusalem, and the temple was destroyed. Now, the verse 18, pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equal again. So there is some question about was the destruction of the temple, was the siege of Jerusalem that bad that it could be considered, according to verse 19, the worst that you know, creation will ever see. Now, the point is that there are many ways to gauge how bad an event is. And according to some criteria, in terms of the total percentage of the city's population that was decimated, in terms of the suffering that the, that the number of people actually went through, uh, stories of how parents because of the siege, they ended up eating their children, things like that. Uh, I think in, in, in a certain sense, it can be considered to be the worst that ever happened and never to be equal again. So the point is quite clear. Uh, Jesus prophesying about the fall of the temple and it did take place in AD 17, which brings us to verse 24 to 27. And there, Jesus quotes in verse 24, but in those days, 
following that distress. So after the destruction of the temple, what will happen? The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. All these uh, imagery taken from the Old Testament. All these imageries, the way that the Old Testament speaks of final judgment. So very clearly, verses 24 to 27 talk about the return of Jesus. And at the return of Jesus, Jesus will bring in final judgment. The world will end and everyone will have to account and stand before God's judgment seat. But because of what Jesus has done in his first coming, in his laying down of his life, the reason why he is even in Jerusalem, what will happen in a few days' time of the Son of Man going to the cross, laying down his life, paying the penalty that sinners deserve, taking on that judgment that we all deserve to face at that final judgment. Because he has done so, and because he has enabled people to trust him and believe him as the Messiah, as the King, as the Savior. Which is why in verse 26, he can say, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from all corners of the world, from all nations. Because you see, the gospel has been proclaimed to all nations. And so he will be gathering his people from all nations. Because these are the people who have been enabled to trust, to embrace the salvation that he came to give. And so at the return of the Son of Man, at the return of Jesus, he will be bringing final judgment and he will be bringing final salvation. Now verses 28 to 31 we have spoken about and it is about how Jesus says the one show that the other is near. So the destruction of the temple, that's the leaves. It shows that summer is near. It shows that he is near. And so with the destruction of the temple having already happened in AD 70, what is in God's calendar? The next event that is circled is the return of Jesus. That is the next thing that will happen. Now you may say that it's been you know, 2,000 years, you know, it's not near. I mean, it seems like it might never happen. But that's the point. The, the point is that once A happens, the destruction of the temple, then all that is left is for B to happen. Jesus to return. There is nothing in between that, you know, needs to happen, that must happen before he can return. You know, all that needs to happen has already We await the imminent arrival of our King. Anytime Jesus can return. And so it is that point that he makes in verse 32 to the end. And he wants to say, don't pretend. Don't be tempted to believe people who can pinpoint the date. But about that day or hour, verse 32, no one knows, even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, 
but only the Father. At any time, Jesus can return. His return is imminent. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be next month. At any time, he could return. But we do not know when. And so he says, verse 33, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servant in charge, each with their assigned task. And so Jesus is that master who has gone away. And he has assigned his servants, you and me, with our assigned tasks. And his, his, his uh, exhortation is verse 35, keep watch. You know, we've been given our assigned tasks to do. We must do our tasks. We must keep watch. We must be at our tasks because we do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. And yes, as servants, we do not want to be found sleeping. We do not want to be found not carrying out the tasks that the master has assigned us to do. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So what are the tasks that the master has assigned to us? Well, we've seen uh, in this section of Mark, the greatest commandment to love God, to love our neighbor. This is what God desires. This is what Jesus desires. And so these are the things we must, by his strength, in community, with love and forgiveness and grace, we strive to do and we encourage and exhort each one to be striving to be doing, to love God, to love each other. But also the question needs to be said about whether you are ready for the return of Jesus. Because when he comes back, it will be to bring either final judgment or final salvation. And the only way to ensure that we are one of the elect that is gathered from the four winds by the angels is that now, here, before he returns, we believe the gospel. And so this is a question that you must not make any assumptions about. Don't think that just because you, know, you, you go to church or you take part in Christian activities that it automatically means that you have believed the gospel. No, search your heart. Ask God to reveal to you. Be clear whether you have truly come to that point where you trust, you have handed over your life it's not yours to run anymore. It belongs to the one who has purchased it by his blood for you. That you acknowledge he is your king. He is the one that you entrust with your destiny. And that entrusting of your life to him affects how you live today. Yes, we will all struggle. Yes, we will all fail and, and fall flat on our faces. We will all make mistakes. But the point is, do you believe the gospel? Has the grace of God in the sending of his son 
gripped your heart? Uh, this is a question you must not make any assumptions about. Are you ready for his return? Are you alert? Are you watching? Are you awake? And so the other task that has been assigned to his servants is for us to be preaching the gospel. Uh, that is the only way that people can hear. That is the only way that people can be ready for the return of Jesus. So obviously in our current situation, uh, some of the ways we've been used to sharing the gospel are no longer possible. And we have to think of other ways. And maybe this opportunity uh, is, is actually given to us to reach people we might not think we uh, could reach through the other ways. But we must pray and we must seek to be proclaiming the gospel. This is the task the master has assigned to us. And we do not want to be found sleeping. And so the greatest challenge I see from this passage is not so much about pinning down the details, uh, getting the right interpretation of the, all the references. The greatest challenge, I think, is believing the clear point, the clear message of this chapter, that Jesus is coming back. He says heaven and earth will pass away. And heaven and earth, I mean, sometimes we, we, we look at earth, we, you know, we look at the world around us and it's so solid, it's so substantial, it, you know, it's, it's so real, it's so permanent. And we can be tempted to invest we can be tempted to live for this world that looks so permanent. But Jesus says it will pass away. His words will not. And so when he says he will return and bring this world to an end and bring in the new world that he has prepared for his people, we must believe. May God help us to believe. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.